Hello and welcome to Fall In, the problem gambling podcast for military service members and veterans. My name is Dave. I'm a veteran of the United States Army and a grateful recovering compulsive gambler. Uh, I want to give a shout out and a thanks to somebody who's normally right by my side taking care of all this, but unfortunately he's got getting beat up by the weather a little bit. I just, but I do want to say a great thanks to the voice and creator of All In the Addicted Gamblers podcast, Brian. Uh, just want to give a shout out to him. Hope everything's going well where he is. All right. So throughout the, these episodes that I've been putting together, we've had a lot of different people on from different areas. We've had people from the clinical world. We've had researchers. Uh, we've had advocates, advocates from all over the place. Um, but I'm not, I, I, I'm not more honored than I am when I sit in front of who I kind of created this podcast for, which is veterans. Um, and I'm extremely honored to have with me tonight two great people. Uh, first and foremost, Eric, uh, veteran. And then also Robin, uh, Eric's wife. And I want to say welcome and thank you to both you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. All right. So do me a favor first. Tell me a little bit about you guys. Tell me who you are, uh, kind of where you come from, what your background is a little bit. And then I guess we'll get into your story. Now, you're a veteran of the the Army. Is that correct, Eric? I did both Marine Corps and Army. I started okay. out in the Marines and then, and then got out and uh, went into the Army. Okay. All right. So, yeah, just tell, tell us a little bit about you guys. Who are you? Well, my name's Eric J. I'm from uh, West Virginia, Southern West Virginia here, a small town, small community outside of Beckley, West Virginia. I uh, born and raised, um, went in the Marine Corps when I was 18, um, went in the infantry, spent four years in the infantry, um, got out, started missing it, um, went in the Army, ended up going in the Reserve uh, with the plans of going active duty, and uh, just so happened the civilian job, the full-time civilian job at my Reserve Center came open. So I took that job and was a full-time civilian for my reserve unit, in addition to being in the Army Reserve as a combat medic. Um, ended up doing two deployments with the reserve, um, one to Afghanistan and one stateside. Uh, retired in 2016, and um, I, my last bet was uh, December 20th, 2018. So I've got a few, few couple years clean time now, heading towards three years. So, um, But the, the struggle was real there for a while, that's for sure. Yeah. First of all, congrats on your clean day. Congrats on the clean time you got under your belt. Way to go. Keep it going. Um, how about you, Robin, a little bit? Do you mind talking about yourself a little bit, kind of how you guys met, where you're from and all that? Um, I'm from the same small town, same area. Uh, we were friends long before we got together. Actually, I knew when we were friends, he had a gambling issue. I actually saw him at a little mom and pop, mom and pop place gambling and went there and made him leave one night um the deal was to get together that he could not ever gamble again um first time it happened it was okay let it slide second time i found out a little more upset the third time <laughs> i left for one day and then then it was hidden then it was a deep dark secret that i had completely no clue i honestly thought he was having an affair Right. And that's not unusual to hear that. It's it's such a hidden addiction because there's no obvious outward signs of it. So and thank you for sharing that, by the way. Very much appreciated. Um, Eric, do you want to go into it? Talk talk a little bit about your your story, your gambling history, kind of how you came into it and how it progressed. Yeah, I, uh, you know, looking back, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Looking back, I think one of the first times that I ever felt that itch, that desire that would have led to compulsive gambling. I was 16 years old, had a job, you know, of course at 16, all your money goes to whatever you want it to. It doesn't go to 
bills and things like that. So uh, they had a game at the state fair and it was, it was shooting pool and I love to shoot billiards. And so if, if you knocked all the balls out of this area, you know, you won a prize or money or whatever. You could choose either, you know, stuffed animal or cash. And so I did cash. Well, the next time it's double or nothing. And then it's double or nothing. And then it's double or nothing. I wrote these fools a check for like $160, some carny at a state fair because I wouldn't quit. I just kept going and going and going. And, you know, looking back now, I mean, right then, of course, what 16-year-old is going to think they're going to have a gambling problem? But, you know, as I've, as I've had to look back at it myself and at the history, I mean, that was probably my first taste of what a, what a compulsive gambler would be like. But again, 16 years old, you know, of course, that was a few years ago. So who would have ever talked about compulsive gambling then, you know? Um, then there was a time I was in the Marines. We were in Valencia, Spain. It was right around the holidays, and there was a little slot machine like in a Burger King or something. And I sat down and was playing it, didn't think anything about it. And I did. I kept not wanting to get up, not wanting to get up, you know, just stay and stay and stay. And after I lost a lot of money, I was just like, well, you know, I had to leave. And, and so there's the second episode of when it could have happened. And, and, you know, there was all kinds of these little indicators leading up. But whoever thinks that's going to be compulsive gambling? Um, like she had mentioned, um, I, we had both gone through divorces. It's been pushing 15 years ago. Both of us went through a divorce about the same time. Her dad, and my grandfather, grew up together. So our families have known each other for decades. And uh, we used to work together back that, when I was 16, that job down here at the Dairy Queen. <laughs> That's where we actually met years ago. She was getting married and I was turning, you know, 16, 17 years old. Um, but hey, you had to throw that in there. I'm older. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I snuck that one in on you. Um, so anyway, I had gone through, both of us went through pretty bad divorces and, and mine had led to a suicide attempt. Um, you know, the typical get home from Afghanistan, you're a different person. They don't understand that type of thing. Um, and it, it led to anger and, and depression and all these other things. Needless to say, led to a divorce. Things got nasty. I ended up trying to overdose on a suicide attempt, ended up on a ventilator on life support for like a week, um, got through that. Well, when I was trying to rebuild my life, I um, went to one of the local little bars around here and was sitting there one night drinking a beer and decided I'd go play one of these machines, you know, no big deal. Put just a few dollars in it, won a considerable amount of money, and that was it. Isn't that, that always a mistake? Oh, Isn't man, that always a mistake the, of the compulsive gambler? We, we get that one first win and oh, yeah. it's on. Yeah. So like I said, I'm single at the time, you know, hit that big win and it was a lot easier to hide things, obviously when you're single, because, you know, you can sell a vehicle or, or pawn something or whatever to cover some, some, uh, debt you're in. But that's what I found myself getting to the point where, man, I've got a hundred dollars to my name. The power bills do, but you know what? I bet you I'm, this machine's getting ready to hit. So I think I'm going to play it because that, that'll pay the power bill and everything else too. And it, it just got to that point. I'll never forget one night. This was before we ever started dating. But we like, like she said, we were best friends. So, I mean, it was nothing for me to be over at her house a lot. We, we got a bunch of mutual friends. We'd all hang out here and stuff. I'll never forget one night I walked into her bedroom. She was getting ready to go to bed. I walked into her bedroom and threw like $4,500 cash across the bed. And I was like, guess who won or something like that. I mean, it's just stupid, you know? And she's like, yeah, but you're not going to keep winning forever. And, you know, she tried to be more of a friend to me about it. And, uh. I did actually quit. Um, it was for a couple of years after we got together, I quit. I, I don't know if it was riding the high of the honeymoon phase of our relationship or what, but had no desire really to gamble. Um, 
And then, you know, a few years later, I, I started gambling a little bit. Wasn't really anything too bad um, as far as our finances and all that. But um, it was me being gone, making up excuses. Uh, yeah, I'm sure she wondered how many car wrecks I could possibly drive by in, in a month's time span. You know, oh, honey, I would have been home, but there was a car wreck. I, you know, you know me, I had to stop and make sure everybody's okay. You because know. not only were you working as a nurse, he was also the chief of our local fire department. Right. Okay. So anytime, it don't matter if it's in our county or not, if there's a car wreck, I have to, you know, I, I've got to stop and help. They might need me. And so there was, there was, you know, there was a wreck about every other evening after work, you know, or something. So <laughs> uh, anything to cover up the lie. And uh, so anyway, like she said, you know, first time she's like, I told you, I, we can't do the gambling thing because ironically what had happened was her and her ex-husband had a friend who was a deputy in one of the neighboring counties, firefighter. I mean, just all stand up guy. And he got caught for embezzlement for like 300 and some thousand dollars because of gambling addiction. Wow. And, uh, went to prison, um, did about three years in prison and then got out, died of a heart attack six months later. So, you know, that was one of the things that she, had told me, you know, gambling's a, it's a deal breaker. And I was like, okay, you know, I'm good enough. I'll hide this. And so, like I said, the first time, you know, she was pretty upset with me, but kind of like, don't let it happen again. And then same thing. Second time she got a little more frustrated. Um, by the third time, I think there was a lot of dry. I was drinking a good bit then too. So it wasn't just the gambling. I was doing a lot of drinking too. Um, so that was making it even harder. Uh, and then the final time was um, I was also the uh, secretary treasurer for the fire department. And she she had no clue about this one because I had gotten good enough that I wasn't taking money from our account anymore. I was taking it from the fire department's account and trying to put it back, you know, as I could. And of course, the losses are always going to be greater than the wins. And uh, so next thing you know, I find myself in a position where I know I'm not going to pay it back. I know I'm eventually going to get caught, but you know, I've told her, I've told people in, in recovery, I've told people that are active having issues with gambling. I said, it got so bad. And here's how messed up my head was. I was content knowing that I was going to get caught knowing that, that I was done. You know, they were going to send me to prison, but I even made the statement to some friends. I won't go to prison. I said, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to have fun until the time comes. And then I'm just going to kill myself. I'm done. I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this gambling thing anymore, but you know, I'm just going to ride it out. And then when I get caught, I'll kill myself. And that's what I told the investigators that night. I said, you know, I said, uh, I'm just, I said, honestly, I almost feel relieved that you all have caught me now and that it's over with. I don't have to live that double life anymore. I said, and they were like, well, yeah, but you just said you're going to kill yourself. And I said, well, yeah, I said, what? you know, what's the big deal about that? And they just kind of looked at me like, you know, what are you talking about? And I said, it's over now. I don't have to worry about it. the pain's gone. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. And one of the investigators said something to me that stuck with me to this day. And I wish I could meet the fella again, because he, he probably saved my life. My daughter was 17 at the time. She was a senior. She was a senior in high school. I had custody of her because her mom had physically abused her and uh, years ago. And so I'd had custody of her all this time. And he looked at me and he said, you know, you mentioned your daughter. He said, what's it going to teach your daughter if you go out and kill yourself tonight? He said, what you're going to teach your daughter is when something hard comes up in life or, or you face a difficulty in life, you just, you just take the easy way out, kill yourself, 
you know, quit your job, whatever the case may be. You're teaching her to take the easy way out. He said, now, what kind of lesson are you teaching your daughter? Let's say you go through with this. Let's say you do get prison time. What are you teaching your daughter? If you make it through all that, come out, be a better person, you know, get a job, live the rest of your life. And you went through one of the worst adversities anybody could face. Then what have you taught your daughter? You've taught her to never give up, you know, and all that stuff. And for some reason that stuck with me. And, uh, I, uh, came awful close, but I didn't, I had the gun in my hand, had it up to my head, but I never pulled the trigger. So, um, yeah, that's, that was on February 13th. So then on February 14th, happy Valentine's day, I, uh, called a special meeting of the board members of the fire department and told them what was going on, went ahead and turned in my resignation, gave them all the checking account information, passwords, all that stuff, told them how much money was in the bank and all that. And then I had to come over here. The fire department's right across the road from the house. So basically me and some of the guys, you know, all those mutual friends I was talking about, they were like, well, do you want us to go with you? And I said, yeah, it's probably a good idea. So we all walked over here to the house. And I mean, there's eight people sitting in the living room, you know, and so I told her, I said, honey, there's something I got to tell you. And she said, what? And I said, uh, I'm thinking I'm going to get like a kick-ass Valentine's present. Yeah. Like, wow. The, the house is full of people. Yeah. She got a, she got, uh, pretty much the opposite of that. Um, I told her I had, was being charged with embezzlement and she actually laughed for a second and said, shut up, you know, or something like that. Thinking I was joking. And I said, no, I'm serious. I said, I've been gambling and you know, I'm being charged with embezzlement. Well, her natural reaction, like anybody's, I mean, she jumped up, stomped out of the house, went out on the back porch and started screaming, you know, and, uh, it just so happens. Um, I still say this was God's work the whole way. It just so happens right around the time I had started gambling again, that led up to this situation here. She had, she had gotten a job working with drug addiction. So she's meeting all these people of all walks of life, you know, everything from the homeless person to the, you know, politician, to the lawyer, to the doctor, whoever, who are talking about these addictions that they've had and how it's ruined their life and all this other stuff. So she's picked up a lot of knowledge about addiction and that it doesn't discriminate, things like that. So anyway, oh, but it did that day. <laughs> so she's out on the back porch throwing a fit, screaming and all this other stuff, which, you know, I, that, that would have probably been the least I would have done. Um, and it just so happens her son, even as young as he is, he's, he's 24. At the he time. was 24 at the time. He grabbed her by the face and he sh kind of shook her head and he said, mom, you've got to snap out of it. He said, you're all the time taking up for these people that are on drugs and stuff and telling us we need to look at them the same and we need to be there for them and all this other stuff. He said, he's going to need you more now than ever, you know, and, and all that stuff. And that's really, that's why I say it's all God's work. Cause I, I feel like if she didn't work with addiction, we probably wouldn't be together. Right now. Um, if she didn't have a better understanding of addiction, you know, she and I wouldn't be together right now. She would have probably walked out that night and that would have been the last at the end of it and had every right to. It's not like I'm saying she would have been wrong in doing it. So, oh yeah, because my son said, "Mom, like I'm really worried about he, Eric. We need to, you need to, like, get all the guns out of the house." And I said, "Go get them. You know where they're all at. Go get them and take them to your house." And he said, "No, I'm not going to get them until Eric says it's okay." I said, "Go get them, or I'm going to kill him myself. Like you're not going to have to worry about him doing it. I'm going to do it." <laughs> he was like, "Mom." like calm down like you have to quit oh like I screamed I cried I told him I hated him I wish he'd die all this and then one of my best friends was here 
And she kept saying, I know you're upset, but just remember how words can hurt. And once it's out, you can't take it back. Like watch what you say because you can never take it back. So then I was like, just I had to just stay away from me for a while. So a lot so, going on in that moment. A lot. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I'm still thinking, dang it, I wish I wish I was getting that good Valentine present. <laughs> Needless to say, Valentine's isn't celebrated in this house anymore. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I can imagine not. No. <laughs> no, but really, seriously, what a I mean, what a blindside at that point, because you're thinking the exact opposite, Robin, and and wow, what a bomb. I mean right. you know, and I say that from the perspective of personal experience of not the exact same event, but similar events. So I I felt that when you guys were talking about it, believe me. Um well, I can't Neil, imagine. There was another guy in our same county who had embezzled from a different fire department. And I, what, two or three months prior, yeah. I had kept on saying, there's no way, there's no way his wife didn't know. You cannot tell me she didn't have a clue. Oh, so I'm laying on our back deck, rolling, screaming, crying, saying, dear God, how could I have been so judgmental? Like, then my whole thought was everybody's going to think I'm in on it. Everybody's going to think it's me. Right. Right. Like we live in a county that's only got like 16,000 people. I mean, everybody knows everybody in the entire county, especially in the, in the first responder. You know, she's in the fire department. I was chief of the fire department. That guy was in one of the other fire departments. You know, he worked for EMS. We're all friends, that type of thing. So, you know, so and then, really tight knit group then. Oh yeah. yeah. And then, you know, people are saying, oh, well, I always used to wonder when he would buy all those flowers and for his girlfriends and he would have, you know, his wife was getting buckled jeans and all this other stuff. We always wondered where his money was coming from, you know, and what made it worse was I had bought a Harley uh, about six months prior, which wasn't with gambling money. I, I'm still paying on the damn thing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so naturally everybody, oh, Eric took money from the fire department. He bought him a Harley and he bought him a four wheeler and he did this. And he did that, you know, which was the furthest thing from the truth. I'm still paying on both of them, but well, we are. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, so, but, uh, but understandable though, why, you know, you would get a little bit of the, the, uh, the curious eye of where'd that come from or where'd that come from? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but so moving forward from that, I mean, you know, I went ahead, I hired a lawyer, uh, started moving forward. Um, there wasn't much of a case. I mean, it wasn't like there was going to be some long trial or anything. It was, I, you know, obviously when you go in for your first little preliminary hearing, nine times out of 10, they tell you to plead not guilty. That way, you know, the lawyers can work something out with the prosecutor and all that, which is, you know, where we were at. So we plead not guilty. Um, December 2019. Yeah. December 2019. The other guy gets sentenced one to 10 years in prison. Well, I'm looking similar scenarios. You know, this is not good. <laughs> so my sentencing wasn't until August of 2020. So we were, uh, I mean, I had, I had done everything I could to make sure that she was taken care of if I was gone. Um, you know, one to, one to 10 year sentence, no priors, no violent crime. No, I have no criminal history whatsoever. I mean, um, you know, everybody's telling me you're probably going to do like seven months, most likely a one to 10, you'll probably do a little over half of the one and then you'll, you'll get paroled. And, uh, just so happened before my sentencing COVID was ramping up. Well, the judge 
had a soft heart for COVID for some reason, because I guess in the jails where it was starting to build up and stuff. The so, judge had a soft heart for veterans. Well, that was mm-hmm. during my sentencing. I'm talking about when he left Michael out. Oh. Well, the other guy, sorry. Um, so that guy gets sentenced to prison in December. In March, the judge orders him to be let out, put on probation. So he made him do like three or four months. So then August goes around last year, August 2020, and it's time for my sentencing. We're doing it just like we are now. It's over Zoom. So my lawyer's on there, the prosecutor's on there, the judge is on there, and I'm on there. And there's people, you know, obviously court recorder and all that. So we get on there. My lawyer makes the case. Prosecutor makes the case. Um, and my lawyer did a he did a bang up job um, talking about veterans and you know how hard, what a struggle it is, especially after being in combat, coming home, trying to readjust, trying to look for that thrill, that adrenaline, you know, and all this other stuff. Anyway, the judge said. Uh, Basically, don't let, don't make me regret this. Um, don't let me see you back here. I'm giving you uh, seven or four months home confinement with work release and seven years probation. So I had to wear the ankle monitor for four months. Um, got luckily, I was able to keep my job, and um, now I'm doing. I just finished up my first year of probation. So, wow, wow. I got very fortunate um, where I'm a registered nurse. The state RN board. I self-reported when all this first came out, told them that I had a gambling addiction, that it had led to criminal charges and all this other stuff. So um, they basically did a non-disciplinary agreement where they're going to um, continue to monitor my license throughout my probation. Each month, my probation officer sends them a thing, says that I'm doing what I'm supposed to. And each month, my supervisor at work sends them a thing that I'm doing what I'm supposed to, showing up to work and all that. As long as I keep doing that, then, you know, at the end of my probation, my, my license, I got very fortunate. Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you came out on the positive side of it and were, were given an opportunity or a second chance, if you will, to kind of to refocus on it. Absolutely. I want to key in on, if I can, I want to key in on one thing you said just a little bit ago when you were in court and the judge brought up your veteran status and talked about, you know, being a veteran and combat veteran specifically and all that. Do you think that played a part in your gambling addiction? Absolutely. In what way do you feel like that was? Well, yeah, I told you the story of when I was 16 Mm -hmm. playing the pool game at the fair and all that. I think me personally as a compulsive gambler and having been around other compulsive gamblers, I think you have, I mean, take like a cancer gene, you know, you've got the gene. It's just a matter of whether or not it's going to, rear its ugly head right so to me it was you know you're coming home you obviously even the fire service was my camaraderie that was my brotherhood the closest thing i could find to military because there were other military guys in the fire department um so you get that kind of camaraderie and stuff but nothing you do is going to give you that adrenaline rush and stuff i think it just brings out and, and you know people will say well why don't every why doesn't every veteran gamble there well, every veteran may not have that gene, you know, like I'm talking about the cancer gene. I mean, why do some people smoke and get cancer? Some people don't. I mean, I just think that, um, there were certain, certain dates triggered. It yeah. Too. Anniversary dates and stuff triggered stuff. Anniversary too. dates from your service specifically. Yeah. 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 Like the loss of mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a friend or certain. Yeah. It would get really bad. So maybe different traumatic events or events that that dates would come up for that maybe you just weren't ready to kind of walk into and step into, and it just was easier to maybe get the escape. Oh, yeah. You you can 
I mean, any compulsive gambler knows one of the reasons we do it is to is to mask something or, or cover something. Even if it's even if you don't realize it at that time, deep down, that's what you're doing. You're you're, you're covering something. You're filling a void for something. There's something else that you're doing by by doing the gambling. You're hiding something. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. And, and I went to the. Uh, I think did you go to the program of Cleveland VA? I did. Yep. Yeah, I went through that program, and you you learn a lot. Not only about yourself, but about gambling while you're there. That's for sure. Yep. Matter of fact, I had uh, um, Heather Chapman was one of my first guests on this podcast. Um, awesome. I love Heather. Yep. I love she, Heather. She and I go back a long way. Um, yeah. She's she's a fantastic human being, and that's a fantastic program. Did you I, do the program in person, or did you do it virtually? No, I went there for five weeks. Okay. Okay. Um, if I'm being 100% honest, I thought – I mean, I figured it would be nice, like the program could help or something, mm-hmm. but I really went there to try to help me in court. That was the whole reason I went. Okay. But once I got there and we started going through classes and stuff, I was like, oh man, this is, <laughs> regardless of what happens in court, this is worth it, man. Cause you, I've still got all the pictures from the stuff you hang up on the wall and they so draw all the diagrams and all this other I've still got the pictures on my phone. I kept them. I showed yep. them to Heather. Showed them <laughs> so to Heather when we went to that last gambling retreat. <laughs> I mean it. And uh, see, we didn't have a we didn't have a uh, Gamblers Anonymous anywhere around here. The nearest right. one's like two and a half or three hours away. Okay. And so that's something else that I did. I actually got a hold of Gamblers Anonymous and um, started a GA group here. Uh, oh wow! We didn't have one. We didn't have one anywhere near us. Is the group yeah. growing? Is it? Are you starting to get some legs to it? No, I've actually haven't done it in months because right. i couldn't get in nobody would come oh, okay i actually went to all the little mom and pop gambling places and asked them hey can i put a flyer out here in case one of your people really does have a problem mm-hmm. you know send them to me we'll we'll do ga and stuff wow. i had like two people in the very beginning try to help me get it started no there was there wasn't any interest right do you do any kind of uh virtual or online meetings at all Mm-mm. no no okay so where do you get your recovery now um I do, uh, on Facebook, I'm on a couple of the, the groups, you know, uh, gamblers anonymous and all that Arnie Wexler and those, and those folks that have, right. you know, I call them the godfathers of, of recovery when it comes to gambling addiction, but, uh, a lot of that helping other people. Um, basically I, I've tried explaining to people when you catch, when you catch four felony charges and get it reduced down to one and you avoid prison, gambling is the last thing in your mind right now <laughs> when it was the cause, you know? understood it, it uh but no I, I find recovery now just focusing on my family and mm-hmm. you know we bought a camper we've got stuff you know we try to fill our time with with um, things that we enjoy doing together okay. um that's that's a big part of it okay and do you find that in doing that that maybe you're starting to um maybe get underneath some of the underlying issues that created the gambling issue in the first place as you start to get more connected to family I think the big thing for me is just being more open about it. Um, problems and stuff. Like I'll tell her when something I'm starting to not feel right instead of just shutting down. And I think that was part of the problem with gambling too. I would shut down. Well, nobody understands me. Nobody's going to understand if I try to talk about it. And so I'll just go gamble. That makes me feel better. That type. Yeah. Oh yeah. Because he would get really irritable, um, push me away didn't want to have didn't want to talk didn't want to have a conversation anything so now i make him like okay something's wrong we're going to talk about this what's going on 
And and how is that for you, Robin, with him opening up a little bit more and kind of kind of you know letting letting him letting you in a little bit, if you will. Um, it's good, but to be honest, I have to catch myself because sometimes I want to say, "Are you flipping kidding me?" Like seriously, but I have to think he's a patient. Like, how would I speak to one of my patients? I have to go there with him. So then, okay, it it really helps. It does it. Does it make a difference after you've had the conversation? Is it, a, is it a little bit less? I mean, does it take some of the sting out of it for both you guys after you've kind of, you know, dove into a little bit of what's really going on? For me, it, for me, it's just I know that she's not going to be thinking 20 other things. I've told her what's wrong. Now she knows what's wrong. You know, now she's not going to be sitting here worried that I'm suicidal or that I'm having an affair or, you know, the things, the things she was worried about when I was gambling. Oh, yeah, I would have much rather it have been an affair. That's not the first time I've heard that, by the way. Not the I'm first sure. time. I'm yeah, sure. And you guys you guys dove into something. Actually, you brought up Arnie Wexler. That's something that, that he and, uh, you know, that they talk about all the time, he and Sheila talk about all the time, is meeting the other person where they are. You guys are both at different points in your recovery, and just being willing to meet each other where you are in your recovery is a huge step for both you guys. So that's that's a that's a great thing for you, it sounds like. So. Um, I told her as far as the gambling goes, I mean, really, other than physical attraction or physical cheating, I mean, it basically isn't unfair. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm putting I'm putting my money into something else. I'm putting my all of my time, my thoughts, everything else is going away from her to something else. It's just not a woman. Right. I mean, really, it's other like I said, other than the physical aspect of it, it, it isn't affair in a way. I mean, you're you're putting your your whole self into something else other than your spouse. So it absolutely is. It's a form of cheating. It really yeah. is. Yeah. And I can, again, I can say that from experience. <laughs> um, hey, one quick question. When you were now, now knowing what you know about gambling addiction and about what you've gone through yourself, did you ever notice when you were in active duty, did you ever run into somebody that looking back now you say, well, that person may have had a gambling issue or, you know, this person as we were deployed seemed like he may have been going through a gambling problem, but maybe at the time you weren't aware, but maybe you are now. Did you see any of it when you were active duty at all? You know, I don't, I don't know that I did. I don't, I don't remember anybody that stuck out that I would have said I did. I mean, I did have a couple that it was with drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it was after, it was after that my story came out and my situation was, was made public that people said, you know, I've been there or, you know, I had, I have, I went through that too or whatever. They'd come talk to you then. But as far as looking out at somebody and saying, you know, they had a game, I, I don't remember. Yeah. And that's the amazing part of this addiction is you can, you can be staring somebody right in the face and not know that it's going on. And yep. that's what makes it so hard to be able to reach out and help people, especially, you know, if you're in a position like you are, or I speak for myself in a position where like I am, where I want to help people and I want to be a voice for people. It's so hard when somebody's not willing to let you in and see what's really going on. And it's so, it's so, I mean, let's put it the way it is. It's easy to hide. Am I wrong? Oh no, you're right. I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm a nurse in the ER. So if you come in and somebody thinks that you've been drinking and you, you know, you got in trouble and they think you've been drinking, we can do a blood test to prove if you've been drinking or not, or we can do a urine test to prove if you've got drugs in your system. But, uh, you know, we can't, we can't draw your blood and say, Hey, you've been gambling. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And, yep. uh, you know, it's easy to sit and say, 
you know, you've got $500 missing from your account. You know, did you go gamble? Well, no, I went did whatever. I mean, I can set and tell you 20 different things that I did. You can't prove otherwise. Right. So it's. Oh, he was slick. Like I couldn't even (laughs) check the bank accounts. Like I would, I would make him sit with me and we would do a new password. Well, then I would give it a week or two and I would like log in just to check. No, invalid, invalid. So I'd call him at work and be like, what's going on? Oh, they made me change it. You have to change it every two weeks. I'd be like, oh. I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm just, I mean, he's he knows exactly what I'm talking I, about. I mean, yeah, yeah. If you talk to any compulsive gambler, we've all we've all been there. Similar situations. I mean, it's it's honestly sad to hear you say that, Robin. But at the same time, I and I'm not. Don't misunderstand me. If you see a smirk on my face, it's not because I'm laughing at what you went through. It's because I completely understand, and it it's. It makes me sad to hear that because you're not alone. Believe me. <laughs> it's just like, but then you asked about the the whole um, military thing. Like I'm an Air Force brat, so I was terrified for my dad to find out like this happened. But my dad was so supportive mm-hmm. and took up for him because my dad, like he retired from Air Force, but he was like, like all. The whole time, his military career, he was like, he he said he saw guys payday, go straight, and gamble all of Drink and gamble, and they'd be gone that night. That night. And he and they, they had wives and kids at home that yeah. didn't know how they were going to feed them and that type of thing. Yeah, my dad said it was, you know, he was constantly taking somebody diapers or giving them money for milk and bread or this or that because he was like, they, they were good guys. They just couldn't control themselves yeah he told me that day um when we told him about it he uh he was telling me stories of guys that he was in the air force with you know he said they'd go out payday and by that night it was gone yeah yeah and that that brings up a great question i mean do you think there's a a, a, for the guys who are taking that paycheck and running off with it and it's gone by the end of the night do you think there's a stigma with them that there are you know if they know they're running into problems like eric you know you reached a point where you knew it had to come out at some point am i wrong no, but you're right. It, for these guys that are active duty, especially the young kids, do you think there's a pressure to not say anything because of the possible retribution of them going up to somebody in their chain of command saying, I think I have a problem? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, you know, a couple of the guys I was in, in Cleveland with, um, one of them was in Korea. And he said they had nothing to do in Korea except they put up these gambling stations and stuff. And that said, they would sit and gamble for hours and hours and hours, day after day after day, because there's nothing else to do. He said, that's when I got addicted. He said, I had nothing else to do. And so I would just, you know, a couple good wins and I was done. Yeah, that that was actually, that's my story. I was in Korea in 2001, right after 9-11, got on the ground. Of course, my family's at home. Um, had been arguing with my ex-wife at the time, hit the ground there. I was tired. I was hungry. I got into Yongsan, walked around, and lo and behold, I found one of those casino-style slot rooms, won some money that night, and I that's the day that my addiction started to take hold. I, I can When I tell my story, I'm telling you right now, that's the day it started to take hold. It's yep. the most amazing thing when you can look back and you can say, yep, I remember that happening. I remember that feeling of all that tension, all of that anger all of that stuff that i was feeling all of a sudden just went woof, and it was yep. gone you know and i could not wait to recreate that feeling <laughs> exactly yeah and you know i always used to tell people <clears throat> when i'd be in there playing 
somebody would hit big somebody else's hundreds thousands whatever in the hole i'd say yeah no doubt you always leave here either with your head held high or your tail tucked low one or two and they would all laugh you know because we all knew it was true i mean the days you win there's no better feeling the days you lose there's no worse feeling i mean right and we tend to remember the wins more long oh yeah yeah. Well, and that's what I'm saying. I'd go through 10 losses just to get one more win. Yeah. You know, that, that was, that was the feeling that I was going through. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I said, as you're saying that night, you know, Robin is, is, is thinking <laughs> what the heck, how can you possibly think like right. that? Right. Right. Um, but, and yet it's the cycle of addiction. Right. Thank God, because Robin's the kind that goes and puts $20 in a machine, loses 10 of it, cashes out and panics because she lost $10. Oh Yeah. And she's among the 90 plus percent of people that can do exactly that. That's right. the fortunate part. 95% of us can go out and 95% of you can go out there and do exactly what you did, Robin. And then there's the 5% of us that run into trouble with it. And the 1% of us like Eric and myself who just fall victim to it. And it's, it's ugly. It gets brutal. So uh, I'm glad that you are where you are, Robin. That's for sure. Unfortunately, you kind of had to go through, see the ugly side of it as well. And oh, yeah. And I'm glad you're on here, too, because we get your perspective of it. Too often we get the gambler's perspective, but we don't hear the affected other and how it affects you and the impact it has on you. And just the description you made of that night walking out of the house when he confessed, it, it says so much because you'd already been working in addiction. You already knew what that cycle of addiction was about. But yet hearing it from your own loved one, from the person oh, yeah. who's your, your confidant, you know, I, I just, for me personally, I can't even imagine what that feels like. And I went through that too. Um, you know, I went through it here at home too. Um, just to watch the look of, you know, what, what have I been living through the past bunch of years? You know, what's the lie I've been living through? Um, fortunately though, you, you were able to see through it and you've been plowing through so far. So kudos to you. Good for you. Oh, like I then after, like I could actually not really joke about the situation, but we have to joke here and there, make jokes just to get through it. But I said, like, you embezzled all this money, yet our roof is leaking, and we had a hole in the ceiling because you wanted to see if the, the sheetrock was wet and stuck your finger through it, and the hole's still there? Like, seriously? I remember one time we were trying, when things started to finally calm down some, and, you know, like she said, we're both jokesters, so, I mean, that's kind of our way of dealing with it. Once some of our friends were over and we were all, you know, talking about it and all that, he said, and I didn't even get any damn buckle jeans either. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, you know, it, but I'll tell you a story I told him up in Cleveland that this, this is one of the ones that bothers me most out of, out of everything. I mean, my daughter would have had a better life had I not been gambling. Um, my wife would have had a better life. I would have had a better life. But the one that gets me the most, well, there's two actually. One, she called me one day at work. She said, um, what's going on? And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, I just, they just tried to get my lunch on my debit card. It was like Wendy's, you know, we're talking like eight, nine bucks. And it declined it. I said, oh God, that must be something wrong with your card. Knowing that I had got the checking account down to like $3.20 or something. And uh, I was like, that must be something wrong with your card. So I went and withdrew $100 or I had a hundred dollars cash from where I had been playing, went and hurried and deposited it, ran back to work, called her back. And I was like, well, honey, there's like $103 or something in there. I don't know why it would have done that. Wow. And so then she's like, well, I called the bank, my card's fine. And I was like, well, have them try it again. 
you know, so then when she tries it again, it works. And I don't know what's wrong, you know. And, and then that goes back to what she was saying about the password, too. Well, I just tried to log on and it wouldn't let me. Oh, well, yeah, the last time I tried to log on, it made me do a password update. Well, what's the new password? So I'd give it to her and then, you know, wait a little while. I'd go back and change it again. <laughs> it's just stupid. It's yeah. stupid. But the other one that really got me that I just, I, I don't know why this one bothered me so bad, but it did. She wanted to get, it was like a sundress or something. It was like a little dress or something. It was going to be like 40 bucks. And I, this is that whole redirecting and all that stuff. At the time, she, no, she was working. Um, but anyway, she wanted this dress for like $40. If I hadn't been gambling, that would have been pocket change. We'd have been fine. But I, instead of making it a realistic conversation, I was just like, well, if you made more and if you were working more and all this and everything wasn't on me to try to support it, support us and all this other stuff, you know, you spend all this money and now you're wanting to go out and buy this dress and all this other stuff. Knowing the whole time it was my fault. Right. You know, there there was no issue with her buying a forty dollar dress. I mean, hell, I just blew four hundred dollars at the you know playing the machines at lunch today. You know that right. type. Of, and for some reason, that one has stuck with me this whole time. About what a jerk. You know, raising cane over a forty dollar dress when I probably blew four hundred at lunch. You know, right. I just man, that, that one bothered me a lot when we talked about that in Cleveland. I I got pretty tore up about that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the first time I broke down in front of everybody up there and I just started bawling and crying. And I just, I mean, what a jerk, you know? No kidding, jerk. I know, right? <laughs> Isn't it amazing when you get into recovery, just how we can look back on those moments and wonder how in the world, how was that even, how the hell did I even think about that? You know? Right. It's just amazing. And, and I'll well, say, if, somebody, if to... I heard somebody else say that story, I mean, if I heard somebody else say that story, I'd be like, man, you're a real dick. Yep. You know, I mean, yep, yep. You're a, you're an ass. Yep. But yet, here we are. Look in the mirror and and like, look, exactly. you're an ass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? I mean, at the time, you know, it made perfect sense for me to say that. But right. That just goes to show how not right in the head we are when we're when we're caught up in the gambling like that. Yeah. Now here's here's if if there's an upside to that, here's the upside to that. You went through a five week program with a cohort where you were able to actually reach in and say that stuff in front of other people. Right. You know, um, and I've said this a million times. Thank God for that program. Oh, I, um, I totally agree. Yeah. Like um, I said, I went to it to try to, you know, cushion up my, my, um, for my lawyer, my defense, let's mm-hmm. put it that way to try I to build up. Well, that yes, pretty much told me I had to, but I thought, you know, that'll get her off my back. It'll make things look better for my defense. You know, when we go in for sentencing and stuff, man, once I got up there, it was a whole new world. I mean, that's the thing you don't realize. Heather Chapman just gets a hold of you, and without you even really knowing it, she just turns you this way when you oh, think you're going to go that way. She makes you like Plato. She just, yeah. And she's one of the crowd. That's the best thing about her is when she sits in a room with you, she's just one of you. Yeah. She's just one of us. Um, and that's the best part about her. But that yeah. helped me immensely was the Gambler's Retreat mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. West Virginia offers. And Heather actually comes to it. Yeah. And yeah. that's how I met her the first time before had you went. Well, to- what I got charged. No, in, because- I, I got charged in February. That was in April. Yes. So it was two months after I got charged. We went right. to a great gambler's retreat together. And uh, man, that, that changed a whole lot for us. We had a great weekend that weekend. Yeah. yeah she's she, been going, she learned a lot for too. years. She's been going to that retreat for years. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I yeah. learned so much. That helped me too. Um, 
yeah. as far as you know with between us that helped us a lot good i'm so glad because like glad. i said you're talking two months later i mean she's right. we're just now really getting into facing the fact that i've got criminal charges and all this other stuff and still i have a little hate yes yeah, she's still got some resentment and all that mm -hmm. going on Mm -hmm. And then we go to this retreat and she's hearing stories about other family members and other gambling addict, uh, you know, compulsive gamblers. And, uh, that, that really helped her. I think, um, okay. it helped both of us, but it definitely helped her, um, uh, as far as understanding where, you know, that it wasn't just, I think she still had some hesitation to the whole gambling addiction. thing. Right. That's great. That's great that you were able to do that together and you were able to experience kind of each other's journey a little bit at the same time. So that's really good. Um, I just want to uh, I just want to follow up and just will ask you kind of one final question before we wrap things up for the for the gambler that might be out there listening right now who maybe is struggling with a decision who's maybe maybe struggling to find a path to go what advice would you give them my advice would be um, I know for me personally the, there was a couple of fears with coming out one obviously I was going to have to admit that I've been committing a crime so that may or may not be their case number two um, I felt like I'm going to lose my wife. I'm going to lose my friends. No one's going to understand. I'm going to be all alone, that type of thing. No one will be there. Um, I'm going to have to face this all alone, that type of thing, uh, was my biggest concern. And to, to my advice would be to anyone who's facing that, that issue right now, um, that coming out and just admitting that you have a problem, tell your family, tell whoever, you're going to have people get mad at you. I mean, some people are going to get ticked. They're not going to understand right off. Um, but for me personally, not having to live that double life anymore was one of the biggest weights that's ever been lifted off my chest. Amen. I mean, that you don't understand. I mean, even if you do lose some friends, they weren't real friends to begin with. Right. And trust me, the weight that you will feel lifted off of you when you finally get that off your chest that, yes, I've got a gambling problem. And you know, it just, it changed my life just getting that off my chest. Awesome. And, and Robin, for the, the affected others, the loved ones out there that might be searching for a path right now, do you have any final things you want to leave with any advice, any thoughts you'd want to leave with them? Um, just be supportive. It really is like, it's a disease. It's uncontrollable. Um, educate yourself. Um, go to counseling, go to counseling together. Um, just be there for them. Let them talk. That that has been our biggest thing is talking about it, like opening up and being there for each other. Because I'm sure there's times where I've pushed him because I nag, nag, nag. Like, well, no, you've never. <laughs> like, my God, where have you been? You've been going to ten o'clock. Blah, 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 blah. And so the next night he's supposed to be home at seven. Here it is, seven thirty. I'm I'm already calling. Doo, 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 doo. And I call and I call. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Like no trust whatsoever. Right. It does take time. It yeah. takes time. Matter of fact, for for anybody that's a that's a family member, <laughs> loved one, supporter, whatever. Um, after I got to Cleveland, I had gotten a check. It was a back pay from a service compensation through the VA, and it was a U.S. Treasury check, and. Uh, I had put U.S. Treasury on the deposit slip, and it was, I don't know, 800 and some dollars or something like that. So I deposited it right before I went to Cleveland. And three, four days into me being in Cleveland, she got on the bank account, looked it up, and was going off. 
where did this effing 800 and some dollar deposit come from? And I said, it was that check, the back pay that I got from the VA. And she's like, no, it says cash. And so I, I didn't get mad. You know, normally I would have flew off the handle and told her some, you know, well, if you don't trust me, then screw it, that type of thing. But I, you know, she's got every right to be questioning things. And so I had to log on, take a picture of it with my cell phone circle where it says us treasury, where I had written that out beside there. And I was like, that's that check. And she was like, okay, sorry. And I was like, no, <laughs> I said, you don't have to be sorry. You've got every, but I mean, this was two or, two, or, two or three days of me being in Cleveland and she was still, but I mean, it, you know, that, that was her, her prerogative for sure. So she had every right to question things. Yeah. Yeah. She was wanting to know where this extra $829 or something came from. I was like, that's that check. Something else that I think people that, uh, especially those who have never been to Cleveland or never been to any type of treatment, um, something that really made me irate up in Cleveland, not against the staff or anything, just one of the one of the statistics, and I'm sure you know where I'm headed with this. So 90-some percent of people can gamble with no problem whatsoever. Five or What was it? It was like 85% can gamble with no problem. 15% have never gambled in their life Correct. or something like that. Yep. 5% have are like problem gamblers but not right. compulsive gamblers some of the and then one percent yeah. are compulsive gamblers correct the money the proceeds or the revenue that they produce like 60 percent of their revenue comes from that one percent mm-hmm. i got so irate when they when they read that yeah that they make that much money off of compulsive gamblers who have a problem who can't control it and they they rake in that much money off of just that one percent and honestly, Eric, that's why our voices are so important to let the industry know. Uh, I always talk about the the military and, and MWR because they host slot machines all over the world on overseas bases. They make hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and not a dime of it goes into education, prevention or treatment. Right. So it, it's so important that we and listen, I'm not anti-gambling. If the industry can can make a living and people can go out and have fun, you know, 90 percent of people can have fun. Let them have fun. My point is for that 1% who makes all that revenue, take a little bit of that and turn it over and start feeding it back into educating us and, 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 you know, letting us know what the dangers are and letting us know what we can do to get past those dangers. And most importantly, and you just said it, letting us know we're not alone, you know, we're not alone in this. So I got kind of, I got kind of angry. When I first called 1-800-GAMBLER, it was about a year before I, before I quit, I called 1-800-GAMBLER and uh, I told the lady, when we were done, uh, I said, well, do you need my insurance card or anything like that? She said, oh, no, it's free. I said, ma'am, nothing in life's free. I know better. And she was like, no, seriously. She was like, the state of West Virginia takes such a percentage of the proceeds from gambling and puts it into treatment and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, now that just kind of pisses me off a little more. (laughs) She was like, what do you mean? And I said, so basically they know that they're creating a problem, but yet they're going to take part of all, but because we put part of the money into treatment, that we're just going to make, that makes it all better. But, yeah. uh, you know, looking back now, it's not the 90% fault that 1% of us can't gamble, you know? Yeah. And everybody's got to take their view of it. You know, we've all got a lens on it. We've all got a different way of seeing it. You know, the way I see it is if, if, if some of the money that we can get from an industry that's going to operate, whether we pound the drum or not, can go back into helping to prevent some of the disease that it causes, that can't be a bad thing. Um, am I saying that I totally agree with the way the industry operates? Nope, not even close, but you take your victories where you can get them. At least that's my opinion. Um, the things that I've learned since, since all this happened, you know, little things like, um, the patterns on the carpet mm -hmm. that make you look like you're leading to an exit. 
but they don't. They lead to a blank wall so that you stay. Or the fact that there's no windows in casinos. Right. Right. Or the fact that there's no clocks in casinos. Things like that. When you figure out why those things are like that. Right. It just, it's like, really, you're suckering people, you know? Right. And yet people, even people knowing that, you know, knowing things like that. Right. You know, the fallacies, the the fantasies that we go through in our mind, you know, the gambler's fallacy. Okay, I've been I've been sitting at this machine for X amount of time and it hasn't, it hasn't, it hasn't, it has to be next time because the last five it hasn't. Right. You know, our minds tell us this is how it works. Same thing with those patterns on the carpet, same thing with the lovely ladies and, and dudes walking around giving us drinks while we're sitting there, you know. Yep. It's all designed with a purpose and end. And logically, we know what that purpose is, but yet that addictive mind just keeps us going. It just yep. keeps us moving in that direction. So the more aware we can make people of it, maybe the better chance we have of reducing it. That's that's I agree. That's that's just what my purpose is. I just try to bring awareness. And 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 at this point, you're helping me do that. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate you guys being just, willing to do that. I just um, love the thought of helping, if even if it's one other person, you know. Yeah. You're and don't, everything. Don't so. let your position in life um get in the way. Don't let your pride get in the way of admitting you have a problem. You know, retired military. I was a retired first sergeant, uh, fire chief, regional emergency services instructor, ER nurse, all this other stuff. You know, don't don't let your pride get in the way of, of admitting you have a problem. Amen. Amen. So to Robin, I want to say first and foremost, thank you um, for being as brave as you are telling your story. To Eric, I want to thank you so much for your service, what you've given to our country, what you've given in the fire, you know, in the fire department and for you stepping forward and telling your story as well. And as I always do, this is the Fall In Podcast, so I'm going to end it simply by saying dismissed. All right, that's it, guys. Thank wow. you. That, that was cool. <laughs> thank know, you for right? doing that. Thank you for doing that. Um, you guys are the most important guests that we have on. I have all these other – Heather was one of my guests. I had Keith White, who runs the National Council on Problem Gambling. I've had a bunch of different really, really great people on this podcast, but but – Honestly, our stories are the ones that are going to make the difference. Right. So, You're right. Yeah. So I, I, I can't thank both of you enough for coming on here and, and sharing and, you know, just stepping into it a little bit. I was kind of hesitant the first time I ever discussed gambling addiction with, with a drug addict. Mm -hmm. But, you know, working in the ER, I see plenty of drug addicts here in Southern West Virginia. Yeah. And uh, so I said something about, you know, I said, I have a similar experience. I said, I know it's not the same as yours. But I was telling them about gambling addiction and some of the things that I felt and went through and all that. And they were like, well, that's exactly what I do. Right. And I was just like, really? I was going to say, it's so similar. Yeah. Like, yeah. drug addiction is not, yeah. I mean. Yep. There are, there are differences, but the addictive portion of it, there's a lot more similarity than there is difference. Right. Um, yes. And you know, from having gone to the GTP, Eric, there's differences in terms of finance. There's, uh, there's a unique relationship with money with gamblers um, that you don't find in drug and alcohol, but the, the dopamine rush, the need to feed that escape. It's all, yep. to me, it's all the same thing, you know? So, well, guys, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't thank, thank you. you. He finally um, had to make his appearance. <laughs> look at that. <laughs> Getting used to my voice now too, huh? Yep. <laughs> actually, when he was in, when he was in Cleveland, at Cleveland. We got this guy while I was in Cleveland. Wow. I went up to visit him and ended up coming home with that. No kidding. <laughs> How cool is that? He's been a lifesaver, that's for sure. Need your GTP puppy right there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will let 
I'll send you out an email and a link when this comes out, when Brian gets it posted. Okay. So that way you can hear it. And awesome. listen, um, if you're open to it down the road, I want to put together a round table, just like a, um, a military and veterans round table, just to, we'll just throw out a topic and we'll just start talking about it on one of the podcast episodes. If you'd be up for it. Absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. Cool. Probably not going to yeah, happen for like, a little while. We joke and bicker all the time, like playing around and Brian was like, Y'all are the coolest couple ever. Like, I can't. <laughs> like, how you get through this? And I said, that's how we have gotten through it. Right, right. I mean, keep, it really is. Keep doing it because you guys are great. You really are. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to next year in West Virginia. I know I'm already planning on being there. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on down. Yep. Where are you from again? <laughs> Pennsylvania. Okay. Yeah. yeah come on down. East, Eastern PA. So, awesome. Yep. All right, guys. Well, you have a good night. Enjoy the rest of your night. All right. So like I always do, this is the Fall In Podcast. So I'm going to end it simply by saying dismissed. This podcast is owned by Lee Street Media, LLC. Music provided by T. Vance. Remember, This is a podcast. The views expressed on the podcast are solely those of the hosts and the guests. If you need help for a gambling addiction, please seek professional help.